Hello, everyone. I'm Grace Beatty, and welcome to Wicked Women, the podcast. Step back in time with me as we learn about some of the most infamous and maligned women in history. Speaking with leading experts, I will discuss these women's backstories and the circumstances that gave them the title of Wicked. In this season of Wicked Women, I will be focusing on some well-known and some lesser-known women in history who have acquired an unsavory reputation. This season will analyze the lives and legacies of Alexandra Fyodorovna Romanov, the last Tsaritsa of Russia, Queen Mary I, more popularly known as Bloody Mary, Catherine Howard, Henry VIII's fifth wife, who was executed for adultery, Empress Wu Zhao, also known as Wu Zixian, the only Chinese empress to rule in her own name, and Empress Theodora, a former sex worker who became empress of the Byzantine Empire. In the end, this podcast does not look to excuse or dispute the wrongs committed by some of these women, but it is also not looking to completely villainize them. Instead, I hope this can be a conversation starter on the complicated legacies prescribed to women in history. Content warning. This episode includes some sexual content that may not be appropriate for all ages. Today we will be discussing the life and legacy of Empress Theodora of the Byzantine Empire. Joining me today will be historian Dr. Leslie Brubaker, who is an expert in Byzantine illuminated manuscripts, and award-winning author Stella Duffy, who has written two novels about Theodora titled Theodora and The Purple Shroud. Continue listening to learn more about this powerful woman from history. Everyone loves a Cinderella story. Reimaginings of the classic tale seem to appear on our screens and in the pages of our favorite books annually. The Cinderella story is an accepted fantasy, a beautiful fairy tale to lose yourself in. And yet, every now and then, a version of the fairy tale comes to life. Long before Charles Perrault wrote his classic fairy tale, a young girl growing up in poverty in the Byzantine Empire would experience her own Cinderella story. Theodora's life could have easily been lost to history, one of the many women who were merely footnotes, if they even got that, in the larger male-dominated story of mankind. But an ancient historian Procopius helped to solidify Theodora's place in history and her unsavory reputation. Within his famous work, The Secret History, Procopius depicts Theodora not as a Cinderella-style heroine, but as a Lady Macbeth-style villain. While Theodora may not have been the naive, innocent Cinderella of Disney fame, she was much more complex than Procopius portrays her. Very little is known about Theodora besides the stories laid down by Procopius. While he often drifts into the world of pure exaggeration, it is highly likely that some of his more basic information on Theodora is true. Believed to have been born in 497 AD, Theodora was the daughter of Acacius and a mother whose name is not recorded. Acacius was a bear keeper who worked for the Hippodrome of Constantinople. I have included more information on the Hippodrome on my website. Theodora's father died when she was very young, and her mother quickly remarried. 
Theodora's mother instructed her three daughters in the arts of the stage, and Theodora, alongside her sisters Anastasia and Comitona, soon became rising sensations at the Hippodrome. If Procopius is to be believed, when each of the three girls reached puberty, they were initiated into the world of sex work. He describes Theodora's early life in the sex trade in grotesque and scandalous detail, depicting a life of debauchery and sin almost beyond comprehension. However, he also admits that Theodora was a sensation, celebrated throughout the city for her wit, humor, and gracefulness. He claimed in his book that her name became better known than that of any other prostitute of her time. At the age of 16 or 18, Theodora left her dazzling career on the stage to become the mistress of Governor Hesebalus. Staying with Hesebalus for four years, but horribly mistreated, Theodora left the relationship and settled in Alexandria in Egypt. It was while she was living there that she had a deeply influential encounter with a sect of Christianity known as Monophysitism. Monophysite Christians believed that Jesus Christ's nature was purely divine, whereas Orthodox Christians believed that his nature was both divine and human. Within Christian circles today, the concept of Jesus being both divine and human seems beyond debate. But during Theodora's lifetime, this concept was still largely undecided. Her generation saw some of the greatest shifts and debates surrounding Christianity that would help to form it into the religion that we recognize today. As Stella Duffy states, So you've got this amazing time where Christianity is deciding what kind of Jesus it believes in. After Theodora's conversion, she returned to Constantinople, where she met the man that would change her life, a young politician and nephew of the Byzantine emperor Justinian. A farmer's son from modern-day Serbia, Justinian moved to Constantinople to work for his uncle Justin and assisted in his eventual rise to the Byzantine throne. Justinian was besotted with Theodora, and it has been said that they matched each other in wit, intelligence, and ambition. Theodora became Justinian's mistress, but Justinian wanted to make her his wife. This was a fact that Procopius was convinced Theodora brought about through evil charms. In Procopius's mind, Theodora was a woman who rose too far above her allotted station and took savage advantage of the power given to her. He stated that Justinian could have married a woman who was the most well-born among all women, who had been raised outside the public gaze, who had learned the ways of modesty and lived discreetly. But instead, he chose a woman who spoke to men out of turn and was assertive about her beliefs. Procopius was not the only one left in horror by Justinian's intent. The nobility, and especially Justinian's aunt, Empress Euphemia, a former slave and sex worker herself, were against the match. Justinian, as heir to the throne, wasn't able to marry an actress and commoner. But to the shock of the nobility, Justinian convinced his uncle, Emperor Justin I, to change the law, allowing those of senatorial rank to marry actresses and courtesans. The document declares that the marriage between a man of power and a former sex worker or actress will remain valid and be considered just as if the woman had never previously led dishonorable lives. The law also makes clear that any children born of a marriage of this kind 
shall remain legitimate and the proper heirs of their father. Justinian married Theodora in 525, and when Emperor Justin died in 527, Theodora was crowned Empress of the Byzantine Empire in a joint coronation with Justinian. She was now the Empress of one of the biggest empires in the world. While many parts of Theodora's life are debated and questioned by historians, this part, her love life with Justinian, is usually not up for debate. As Dr. Leslie Brubaker states, But Justinian could not have married her without changing the laws. It was illegal for um, a, an elite person to marry a non-elite person, somebody that particularly very non-elite, as she apparently was. So there, there was something going on there. He did change the law, so he could marry her and she became the empress. Um, which is pretty, I mean, it tells you something about her, I think, and about Justinian, that he was willing to do it, actually, as well. So, but it clearly rubbed people like Procopius' nose way out of joint. Justinian treated his wife and empress as his intellectual equal and actively involved her in the running of the empire. Procopius states, Neither ever did anything without the other. And Theodora's name features alongside Justinian's on most legislation passed during his reign. In addition, she received foreign envoys and corresponded with foreign rulers, usually acts that were reserved solely for the emperor. With Theodora by his side, Justinian's reign impacted every aspect of Byzantine life. Justinian and Theodora reformed numerous laws and created some of their own, most famously, the Code of Justinian. They created architectural marvels throughout the capital of Constantinople, perhaps the best known being the Hagia Sophia. In addition, they patronized numerous poets, scholars, artists, and theologians at their court. All of these stand as a monument to Justinian and Theodora's powerful partnership. Procopius portrays Theodora as more than just Justinian's equal partner, but the true ruler of the empire. One of Procopius's most dramatic scenes in the secret history takes place during the Nika riots of 532, which was a rebellion that nearly ended Justinian's reign. I have attached more information about these riots on my website. The imperial palace was surrounded, and Justinian was ready to flee the country and relinquish the throne. What happened next is highly debated by historians. Procopius claims that Theodora gave a rousing speech to her husband and his ministers. He records her speech in this way. My lords, the present occasion is too serious to allow me to follow the convention that a woman should not speak in a man's council. Those whose interests are threatened by extreme danger should think only of the wisest course of action, not of conventions. In my opinion, flight is not the right course, even if it should bring us to safety. It is impossible for a person, having been born into this world, not to die. But, for one who has reigned, it is intolerable to be a fugitive. May I never be deprived of this purple robe, and may I never see the day when those who meet me do not call me empress. If you wish to save yourself, my lord, there is no difficulty. We are rich, over there is the sea, and yonder are the ships. Yet reflect for a moment whether, when you have once escaped to a place of security, you would not gladly exchange such safety for death. As for me... 
I agree with the adage that the purple robe is the noblest shroud. Theodora succeeded in convincing Justinian to stay and fight, after which he put down the rebellion and saved his throne. Some historians, such as Dr. Brubaker, doubt the veracity of this story. The other big story that's not in secret history, but it's in wars, uh, the Gothic Wars, is the thing about her saving the empire and saying, you know, the burial shroud, which is completely... Procopius wasn't there. He has no idea what went on at the time. He wasn't even in Constantinople. The text, it's the only time she speaks in the seven volumes of the wars. It's the only time she says anything. She's only mentioned three times, I think. Maybe it's four, I can't remember. But, but it's the only time she says anything. And it's lifted directly from another speech that was given by a Roman empress about her evil, evil husband. So again, it's slamming... It's a way of slamming Justinian. It's completely plagiarized. Well, I mean, all Byzantines plagiarized everything all the time anyway, so that doesn't matter. But, you know, it, it's, it's just, a, it's a complete, like, no, this did not happen. <laughs> so anyway, I don't think, I don't think it's about Theodore at all. I think it's a way of showing what he's using that speech to do is to show that Justinian was indecisive and that a woman had more authority than he did and and was calling the shots. And for Procopius, that is just such a no-no. It shows that Justinian is, 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 is a castrated male and a crappy emperor. He can't even, his wife has better sense than he does. The way he treats her is um, always rhetorical. He always uses her to make another point, usually about Justinian, but also sometimes just about the role of women. Um, but it became clear very quickly that uh, what he is telling us doesn't really have a great deal to do with her, except for the fact that she had status and was powerful, and that that and then, and he hated her husband. Therefore, he could use her status, and her power, and her femaleness as a way to get at Justinian. Because if he, if Justinian couldn't control his wife, he couldn't control the empire, and blah, 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 blah. It goes on from there. So the person he really demonizes, the person he really demonizes is Justinian. And, but Theodora kind of gets in the, gets entangled in that. Throughout the secret history, Procopius attempts to paint Theodora in an unsavory light by describing people's early opinions of her in this way. All were ready to worship Theodora as if she had been a goddess. Neither did any of the clergy show any indignation, but bestowed upon her the title of Lady. The people who had formerly seen her upon the stage now declared themselves with uplifted hands to be her slaves and made no secret of the name. None of the army showed irritation at having to face the dangers of war in the service of Theodora, nor did anyone of all mankind offer her the least opposition. While Procopius attempts to frame that this fact is proof of Theodora's unnatural ambition and sinful charm, for readers today, it provides an interesting glimpse into popular opinion around Theodora. Far from being a reviled villain, Theodora seems to have been popular and well-liked by people from all ranks in society. In addition, Theodora appears to have been strong-willed and unafraid to stand up to those who opposed her, a fact that horrified Procopius. 
In one of his more unguarded moments in his book, he allows his personal hatred to shine through. He stated, Every time that bitch got worked up, no sanctuary was safe, no law could offer protection, and it seemed that not even an entreaty by the entire city was sufficient to shield anyone who had given her offence. She truly was a woman who knew her own power. But with power comes animosity and jealousy, as Stella Duffy points out. Um, I think I think it's more just that people have never coped very well with women in power. Um, and she and he she had power. She was yes, he was the emperor, but she was properly the empress. In addition to supporting her husband's political agenda, Theodora plainly had her own to achieve. She worked tirelessly for lower class women's rights, particularly sex workers. She personally passed laws that prevented pimps from making money off sex workers, in addition to banishing brothel keepers from Constantinople. Theodora also set up a number of safe houses for former sex workers, where they were provided with food, shelter, and training for other trades. Finally, she worked tirelessly for women's marriage and dowry rights, anti-rape legislation, and personally supported young girls who had been sold into the sex trade. While Theodora endeavored to improve the lives of less fortunate women, Procopius claims she actively attacked high-ranking women who threatened her position of power. He hints that she may have even been responsible for poisonings, arrests, and torture of women of high standing. But as Dr. Brubaker points out, well, the real thing that comes up time and time again is everybody says, oh, well, you can't believe anything Procopius says, and then proceed to believe everything Procopius says. I mean, you know, everybody, and it's just like, oh, come on, guys, really? Um, so, so, yeah, I mean, everybody just wants to believe it because it's a good story. But there's no evidence aside from Procopius, who wasn't even around half the time. Theodora died in 548 at the age of 48, possibly of cancer. Justinian plunged the country into mourning and never remarried. Here's Stella Duffy on Justinian and Theodora's historic love. And he didn't remarry. They didn't have children. He didn't remarry. And that, I think, really indicates that it wasn't just her evil power over him or, you know, some lasciviousness that was keeping him in check, which is the kind of stuff that Popius wrote about them. What was really going on was a was a proper passion. And for the first decade after her death, he visited her grave every day, and I think weekly. I mean, it was a real proper love that went on. He reigned for 17 more years, but after Theodora's death, no major legislations were passed by Justinian, showing the true impact she had on her husband's reign. Soon after her death, Theodora disappeared from the records, not to be unearthed again until the publication of Procopius's Secret History in the 17th century. Procopius painted a portrait of an ambitious, vindictive woman bent on the destruction of the Byzantine Empire. In later years, John of Ephesus and Michael the Syrian briefly wrote about Theodora and provided a version in complete contrast to Procopius. They both described a woman of deep faith, a protector of religious minorities, and devoted to her husband and the good of her people. In the end, these documents and snippets of writing only dimly reflect the truth of Theodora's life and personality, like shadows around a candle. In addition, as Dr. Brubaker states, 
well, there's no way we can know anything about her as a person, of course. Uh, what we have is other people's recordings over either visual or in texts. And the only other evidence we really have for her at all is inscriptions. We've got, a, we've got some monograms with her name on it. And that's really it. We've got Procopius, we've got John of Ephesus, we've got these inscriptions, and we've got the image at San Vitale. The end. There is really very, very little about her at all, and the material evidence is actually much more interesting than the, well, it's not more interesting than the written evidence, but it's probably more accurate, <laughs> because John of, Ephesus, John of Ephesus liked Theodora and thought she should be made a saint because of her, her working with the, with, with the Monophysite cause. Um, but of course, Procopius hated her. Well, she—he didn't really hate her. He hated, but he hated Justinian, and she was the way he—he he was using her to get to get at Justinian. So you know, our our textual uh, information about her is um, suspect at best. <laughs> but we know. I mean, the, what's really interesting? Oh, we've also got a legal text that implicates her, although it's not doesn't name her specifically. But what's interesting is that during her lifetime, until she died in 548, anything she and Justinian built together always has both of their monograms on it, which is very unusual. I mean, this is just, so she's really right in there in the whole Justinianic project until her death in, in 48. So that demonstrates better than anything else, I think, how significant she was to Justinian's own conception of, of the empire. Both versions of Theodora, sinner and saint, tell us more about the men and the cultures they were a part of than Theodora herself. In Stella Duffy's opinion, Procopius had an intense personal vendetta against Theodora. Um, but he's also massively sexist, uh, probably racist. There are some suggestions that Theodora might have been North African. She was certainly darker skinned than others. Today, Certain assertions that Procopius makes in horror about Theodora sound more like a strong, independent woman than a villain. Procopius bemoans about Theodora that She never did anything, either under persuasion or compulsion, but employed all her self-willed efforts to carry out her resolutions. To me, this sounds like a typical goal for a self-sufficient, powerful, modern woman. For Stella Duffy, rather than a sexualized brute, Theodora could be viewed as a feminist symbol. And also just as a feminist, it's a great story. She is a classic rags to riches story. And then historically, she created the first halfway house for ex-prostitutes. She brought in the first anti-rape laws. Um, she, and because Justinian gave her power. Um, and they changed the law so that she, an ex-dancer, which did mean ex-prostitute at the time, um, could uh, become, well, could marry. They weren't even allowed to marry. And, and when I came to write the book, I was like, well, A, of course, many women have done sex work because of poverty. But the stories about her were that she was just, you know, flagrantly lewd and all she wanted was sex. And yeah, that also could be true. And that doesn't make her a bad woman or a bad human being. But what I thought was particularly interesting is that once in power, where other stories are about, I don't know, women in power, you know, they're always bad. You know, they're always lady men. Um, 
but she started doing things for other women. You know, they also brought in the first laws that gave women back their dowry when they had been summarily divorced. Because at the time in Christianity, men could just divorce women by saying so. Um, they hadn't brought in the anti-divorce laws. Um, so there's there's a huge amount there, but also in the love relationship between Justinian and Theodora, there's East and West. You know, he's very European. He's from um, what would now be considered sort of Dalmatia, sort of maybe, you know, that edge of, of, of Europe, whereas she is definitely from Constantinople and quite likely with some antecedents in North Africa because of where everyone was coming from at the time. In 2000, over 1,500 years after her birth, this dazzling, ambitious, mysterious woman from nowhere was beatified as a saint in the Syrian Orthodox Church, a denomination that she is purported to have helped found. In the Church of St. Sergius and Bacchus, known as the Little Hagia Sophia Mosque in Greek, there is a carved inscription that praises Theodora, saying, Theodora, whose mind is adorned with piety, whose constant toil lies in unsparing efforts to nourish the destitute. Empress Theodora is an enigma, a woman whose very existence in the historical record was narrated solely by men. Her portrayal in the mosaics of Hagia Sophia is perhaps the closest we will ever get to the real woman in the purple shroud of royalty, a woman of striking beauty and extraordinary intelligence, a woman who to some personified the full meaning of evil, to others embodied saintliness. While Theodora's own voice has been lost to time, we can still appreciate the nuanced and complex woman who rose from the lowest rungs of society to become the powerful empress of the Byzantine Empire. <laughs>